Hi, this is Polly Parsons, Graham Parsons' daughter, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcasts. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining me. We have got a special edition of My Rock Moment with my guest, May Pang. Now, May tells the complete story of her 18-month relationship with John Lennon in her upcoming documentary, The Lost Weekend, A Love Story. It comes out nationwide Thursday, April 13th, so I caught up with her ahead of the premiere to talk a little bit about her memories of John. I've seen the documentary twice, and I have to say it's worth getting tickets now, folks. The documentary is an incredible slice of rock history, so I'm excited to dive in with May. Let's get started. The ball. Everybody's talking, no one says a word. Everybody's making love, no one really cares. There's Nazis in the bathroom, just below the stairs. May, thank you for coming on My Rock Moment. My pleasure. I'm having a a great time. And uh, I hope, did you actually see the film? I did. Okay. I just always ask because sometimes you ask somebody and they're interviewing you and you go, did you really see that film? Because you're asking me something that doesn't work, you know? So. Oh, I saw it. I saw it actually a couple times. (gasps) Oh, okay. I guess you liked it. Uh, it's wonderful, okay. wonderful. And and so for everybody listening, the film, the documentary is called The Lost Weekend, A Love Story. And it's coming out in select theaters April 13th. It's going across the country. It's in all the different cities right across the country. I even saw it. I think it's even in Alaska. So they just have to go on. They can go on The Lost uh, Weekend tickets.com which is the official site that iconic um, um releasing is put together or they can probably look at fandango.com is another place so they can all look but yes it's it's quite interesting because i saw all the different places uh, uh around the country so oh, that's wonderful i wasn't sure how uh, deeply it was permeating the the country but i'm going to put all those links in the show notes as well. And oh, then great. we promote it and everything, you know, beforehand, it'll be great. But I did see it twice. And oh boy, do I have questions for you. <laughs> well, fire away. <laughs> I will. And you know, what's interesting for me, I took a step back as I was lo- watching this, you know, being a woman and you're so young when all of this is happening, you know, you're, you start working with them about 19, you and John engage in this relationship at like 22, the tender age of 22. We're still figuring out life at 22. You get your first real relationship, right? Yes. Living boyfriend, all of that around that time. And it's not just some well-known musician. It's John Lennon. (laughs) You know, it, it, I know people, I know that that is sometimes even hard for me to realize right. because I worked for them for three years at that point. So to me, they were John and Yoko and they were my bosses and, you know, I did things with them and um, it, it, it was kind of an interesting situation. I didn't look at them as, you know, I didn't look at John as, oh, 
he's John Lennon. It didn't phase me except maybe the first couple of months when I was working. Once when you start to work with somebody, it's just routine. You know, right. at first it's like your your job. I'm sure you you're thinking, Oh, I love this. It's great. The first time it's like, oh, it's so exciting. And after a while you go, it's a job. It's a job. Yeah. 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 The novelty wears off. Exactly. So that's exactly it. And even as my living boyfriend and it was kind of hard to say I I took a back seat I didn't even sit there and say oh here's my boyfriend um everybody would come and I would just say oh can we have your autograph and I'd say you don't want mine you really want the guy over there that everybody's crowded around and I and they said no 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 we want yours I said no you don't uh it's okay you could go to him um you know and I would help them get the the autograph but, you know, in the end, sometimes they insisted, so I would just sign my name. But other, other than that, I liked it. I didn't want to be in front. There's, you know, there's one star. He was the star. I didn't need to be the one. Sure. Although of those that did get your autograph, I'm sure they're pretty glad they did. <laughs> <laughs> so know. here it is, 2023. Now you have told the story in bits and pieces through interviews and things like that. But then you also had your books. You had Loving John and you had Instamatic Karma. But why now with the documentary 50 years later? 50, and you know what? Fi- exactly 50 years later when we started this. It's 50 years later. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's weird. When I put my book out, a lot of people didn't believe that this could have happened. It was just like, oh, she must be lying. Um, none of this could have really worked. So the the book, a lot of people bought it, and then a lot of people bought it and didn't want to believe it because I get people now writing. They said I bought the book back then, but I don't know why I didn't read it. It's been on the shelf. Oh, I understand it. Yeah, I got many of those. Um, nobody wanted to believe that the myth of what was happening could be broken, of what was you know a relationship. So I understood, and I just sort of took it back. And then, of course, when I did um, Instamatic Karma many years later again, it was like, oh, my goodness. Then it was true. I was with somebody, you know, this guy did go out with this person. So, it again, it's just it was a buildup. And, yeah. lot, you know, a lot of people in middle America has never, never, never even heard of me because I've seen it in uh, comments. Mm hmm. So it's kind of an interesting thing. So I think, and and then we're in uh, an age where people like to look at things. You know, they want to, it's more visual than it is reading. And, um, you know, you, you think because they see it. And sometimes I'm not sure if they're seeing the right thing either. But, you know, they're, they're seeing <laughs> Up to interpretation. <laughs> yes, it's an interpretation. But I think there's enough stuff around that everybody sees it. And, you know, I was there. So, um, but I think in middle America, I mean, like, for instance, what did you find surprising about the, the, the movie? You know what surprised me and, and confused me? And it was something I wanted to get into with you is, you know, when Yoko approached you, was this her idea? Because John seemed to have already been attracted to you. What were the conversations that were happening in the background between the two of them that led to her even approaching you? That's that's where I where I thought, okay, I want to know a little bit of the backstory here because I don't think I knew about all of that. 
I, I didn't even think that John was attracted to me because I worked there for, like I said, three years who thinks of, you know, it's an everyday thing. Here I am, you know, okay, John, what do you want? Uh, I work for her. What I'm working in the studio for both of them in separate times. Um, you know, it, it was just doing things. I would come in. I always like to come in at nine 30 in the morning, just so I can get my cup of coffee, sit down and then take a breather and then say, okay, what do I have to do for the day? Um, so I never thought of John looking at me anything differently than somebody that works for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, obviously when this, this approach, when she came into my office, now you should know this, what it's like to sit at your office and you haven't had your cup of coffee and you're just trying to focus for the day, (laughs) you know, and she goes, and she goes, I got to talk to you. And I pick up my pad and go, okay, I'm about to write what's going on. And she says, you know, John and I are not getting along. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay. And I'm thinking in my head, we know everybody that was around them knew because there was so much tension in the house when you're, when you're working, you you know, your coworkers, you know, there's something always wrong. So I said, I'm sorry. And he goes, you know, John's going to start seeing other people. And I'm thinking, here's this cloud. If they could read the, the, the words in my, over my head was, oh, God, it's him, it's her. And who's the X factor? You know, because that's all I'm thinking of, because you got to deal with everybody's personality at that moment. Right. Mm-hmm. And then she goes, and I'm like in my other world. And she goes, and she looks at me, she goes, oh, but I know you don't have a boyfriend. And I go, don't look at me. I don't want this. <laughs> And I don't want this. And it's not something I'm thinking about because I loved my job, even though it was not an easy job. People may think it was easy. It wasn't easy. I'm sure. Um, but it was, it was like, I don't want this. I, you know, it was not something I thought about. I don't want it. He's not, I don't think, why is he, why would he be attracted to me? That was always my thought. Why, first off, I'm not going to go after him. They're a couple. You know, I didn't last three years because I was going after either one on these things, you know, so it, um, it just, and then she knew I was like, she kept saying you should. I said, no, she kept saying, well, if you, you know, you don't want him to go out with somebody that's not nice to him, which of course, of, of course not. She goes, but Jen, you're the right person. I said, no, I'm not. This is an argument that went on. And then she just said, oh yeah, I think it's a good idea. And she walks out of the room. So what do you do from there? You know, I was sitting there. I mean, tears were actually streaming down my face. I had no idea. And I'm thinking, what just happened? I, I was like, I thought I was, I thought I was dreaming. I, I thought I was this, this thing that was happening. I mean, I couldn't wait for the day to end so I can go home. Just, and he wouldn't even come out of his room. And, you know, Yoko was, was smiling. John doesn't want to come out of his room. He, I found out later, this is not that day but I found out much later because I asked him I said what happened to you how did you find out you know and it was the same thing he said he didn't know she comes in and she's trying to orchestrate this and neither one of us were asking for anything we were like in different corners so and it was only and it was only uh when it pivot when it when John was the one who was pursuing me it wasn't because of Yoko it was because of John that it took a, a turn. So do you think that Yoko giving him the permission 
essentially to pursue you is what sparked that interest on his end? I think because she kept, she wouldn't stop. After a while, when somebody keeps going, I want you, I want you to do this. You, I want you to do this. You got a rider in. They would, uh, let me be clear. They were definitely not having, uh, their, their, their time together was very rough. And yeah. the tension was just building up all over the house. We all felt it. Um, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't pleasant when you're, when you're working in a household that's not um, a happy, I mean, give you an example. I mean, I was in my office and I was working on something and John came in and was asking me questions and about a certain equipment that he wanted. And I said, okay, do this, you know, and I said, all right, fine. And he literally walked out the room. She walked in and I said, have and she goes, have you seen John? And I literally gave her a double take and I went, what, how did, how did you miss each other by seconds, literally seconds. And I, I said, you didn't see John. And she just looked at me and she goes, well, I guess. And then she went, I guess he's in his office. And she turned around and walked out. So it was just a very weird time. Yeah. Everybody in the house. Yeah. And as an employee, essentially having to navigate that and thinking, yeah, you know, you even mentioned where is my, is my job secure? What is happening next? Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people think, oh, it's because what Yoko said, and that's why it happened. No, it wasn't. It was because, you know, like I said, it was because John then pursued me and no, I was not paid for this, I was no longer on the payroll. So it was just John and myself. It was you and John. Yeah. Okay. So when that relationship started, were you coming into the office each day, spending nights when with John? When it started, it took a while uh, before it started. And, you know, I was still working. We were in the middle of the Mind Games album. Right. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so How I appropriate. Still, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And that's, and like I said, it was 50 years ago now, you know, that this whole thing started. And so, um, yeah, we started, I think once, once we, uh, once went out to LA, you know, John wanted to have some, some time, some peaceful time when we got together out there and it wasn't Yoko that sent us out there. That's a big myth. That didn't happen. Uh, we went out there. Um, it was one night. Uh, we were in New York and John's lawyer was in town to go over some stuff. And then he said to him, he goes, so Harold, when are you going back to L.A.? Because he was from L.A. He goes, tonight. He goes, OK. And he, he goes, guess what? May and I are going to get on that plane with you. Unbeknownst to you. Unbeknownst to me. And I'm standing there. Go, we are. <laughs> you know, so that's so that was it. And and. The lawyer was smart enough. He didn't blink an eye. He didn't ask questions. He goes, okay. And that was it. And uh, we ended up staying at his place um, for a while. He goes, you have no hotel. You have nothing. So you'll stay at my place. Now, Yoko was out of town for some conference of some sort. So she was not even around. Oh, wow. And what was her reaction when you went to LA? We didn't tell her for a few days. Okay. Yeah. She was out of town. We were, you know, this is not the days of uh, cell phones, you know? Right, right. We were out there. So she didn't know, she didn't know where we were until she got back. I don't know. It was like a week later or something, you know, it was a few days, definitely. 
So when you came out here at this point, the fact that you two were together was not public knowledge. No. So you you came out here and anybody that saw you, you really stayed to your respective roles as John Lennon and John Lennon's assistant. Except for certain key people that were around that, you know, that we that we talked to, for instance, Andrew Oldham, who was the original Stones manager and producer. And, uh, you know, John turned around and talked to and told him. I think we saw um, who was it? We actually saw even uh, Bill Wyman said the same thing. You know, it was like he told these people and, you know, there were certain key people that sort of knew and then he would say things, you know. Um, so that's what happened, uh, there. So it was, but really nobody knew. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't make out to, to the world. Look what just happened. You know, that was not my, that's not something I wanted to do. And for everybody to, to realize when it first started to happen, um, you know, it was Yoko called us every day when, you know, wherever we were. So this was not something that people think that she didn't know what we were doing. So she was, you know, talking to us all the time. And so she was not alone in that sense. You know, she knew what we were doing. So we were not um, somewhere where she didn't know where we were. Right. And as the girlfriend, you know, you're trying to start a relationship with um, John Lennon, but you've got this wife who is constantly checking in, constantly calling. So there's essentially three of you in the relationship. Gee, does that sound familiar to somebody else? <laughs> These stories? You know, I feel sorry. I understand Princess Diana as well, you know, when that oh. whole thing happened. Oh, my goodness. It happens more than we know. Yes. But how do you navigate that? You know, at that time, that's a, that's a tough thing to deal with at that age or just in general. It was tough. And I just sort of try to put myself, try to center myself and say, you know what, just let me, let's just see where this goes. How is this riding out? How, you know, what was John's need? What were my needs? And where, you know, right now, John was pretty happy. Mm -hmm. He wanted, you know, he just wanted to, he wanted to relax and enjoy life as it were. And right. he saw friends he hadn't seen. We were talking to people. And then he said, you know what? I feel great. We, you know, we ran into Tony King who, who happened to be in LA at the same time. Tony King was our, was our um, general manager from Apple in England. He happened to be in New York. I mean, in New York, it was LA for a holiday. And he was staying around the corner from where we were staying. And then there was also, um, who else was around? Uh, Ringo would come in, you know, so we saw different people and he was just, people couldn't believe it, that we were in town. And this was the first time people had seen John in a long time. Mm. And he was in a different mood. They hadn't seen him like this. Wow. And how did he weather the incessant calling and check-ins from Yoko? I think he went on autopilot for a while. Hmm. And, uh, you know, it's like, okay, hi, hello. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Hang up. Start. Again. I mean, it wasn't one, it was a call every day. You know, I, I, like I said, I think, you know, I've said this, she would call anytime from a minimum of a few calls to somewhere 15 calls a day. I mean, this went on all the time. So this is not something that, uh, you know, uh, we were, we, we, we got so used to it now. Oh, hi. 
<laughs> just handed the phone. I know, and I know people have said to me, then why, you know, why didn't you say something? How do you say you can't talk to him? Of course. Yeah. And, you know, I know some people kept saying, yeah, I would have told him something else. I said, yeah, that's not. Until you're in that situation, you have no idea. Right. And you'd already essentially been in in with the two of them for years at that yes. point. Right. So I understand that. And, you know, I'm sure that John was in a totally different headspace. He's got a new girlfriend. He's got a new city. He's enjoying life. And right. I was I read somewhere, I was listening to an interview you did in regard to people um, giving this time of his life the name, you know, Lost Weekend, you right. know, um, and that maybe that didn't sit so well with you because it somehow trivialized what you two had. It's true. I, I accepted it because he said it. What was I going to do? Right. He had already set, set it out there. And, but I also know it was also part of the time frame. you know, cause everybody was asking, Oh, you were drunk all the time. And, um, and you know, they said, well, how did you feel? And you were, you know, you were here, you know, that whole thing. And John always liked to use, uh, you know, different uh scenarios he was a big film buff and mm -hmm. so the big film was the lost weekend with ray milan and said well that's how i you know this drunken this guy was always drunk you know and so but if you really think about it how many times are we talking about the same story every time and i would say to people if you really read it we're talking about two or three incidents incidences right and it just keeps cropping up so it sounded like he was drunk every single day but he wasn't so when you and it was major ones that people read about so I said um and I and I think uh you know John would even say he goes you know he knew he would be the one that get all the press you know mm -hmm. if you say it's Harry I used to fight with Harry but no one's going to read Harry but if you say it's John Lennon or Ringo Starr or whatever else the copy becomes the big the big story. It's the so, big story and it's blown yeah. out of proportion. Correct. Well, and it probably didn't help that his friends out here were part of the notorious drinking crew, the the Hollywood vampires, right? Correct. So <laughs> you put anybody in a group together, <laughs> you know, they're going to get a ton of press. Oh, and you know, and that's the funny part. And everybody cannot believe that I was the one who did. Here I am, the youngest in, out of the group, but I didn't partake in those things. I didn't really drink. Uh, I didn't take drugs. I was constantly, I was a straight one. I mean, I've been called, you know, Miss Goody Two Shoes during that time. And I was such a bore by other people. Um, John liked the fact that I didn't do it. Yeah, any of that. you and were so, a dose of sanity. <laughs> yes, it, it was. I mean, if you see pictures and you see those bottles of Coca-Cola, and they were not cans back then, the bottles, they're mine. I drank Coca-Cola like, like water. It was just, I woke up to that. I, uh, you know, and that was my uh, choice of oh, drink. Yeah. Well, it's darn good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can go into the rainbow today and you can walk up those stairs and you can see that back room and it says the lair of the Hollywood vampires and John Lennon's name is prominently placed on there. But what you're saying is that it was really blown out of proportion. It wasn't some long, drunken, debaucherous, you know, trip out in L.A. No, in fact, with the with the Hollywood vampires, he was more of a guest. He wasn't he wasn't in town for 
all the craziness. I mean, Harry Nielsen, Mickey Dolenz, they lived there. So mm -hmm. they got, they were there all the time. Um, even Ringo was there more than we were at, at certain points, you know, and yeah. that was, you know, Ringo was, was Harry's best friend. And, um, and, you know, John was the new kid on the block. That's just, you know, and that they, they love new kids on the block. <laughs> <laughs> it's like hazing, like a fraternity or something, you know? Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and I watched this go down. And then of course, when John decided, oh, let's do an album. With Phil Spector, that just went another level, you know. Yeah. And I was, I here's this kid fighting with this man, saying I don't like any of this. And I, I remember one night, uh, you know, because Phil uh, made it very impossible to to work sometimes. And he, the first night in the session, he had, you know, he controlled the session because John said, I don't want to be the producer. I don't want to think about anything. I just want to be a singer in the band, you know, and just do my part and leave. Well, no one said that that the producer was going to be three hours late or he was going to come in dressed like somebody else every night. And he would have all these drinks. And by the time he gets there, everybody else is sloshed. So, yes. I mean, I would come in and I mean, it was just crazy. I remember one night he's screaming and he says, and I think, uh, David Geffen and Cher and, and Warren Beatty, they were all there and he's screaming, lock the door give me the key, I'm going to swallow the key so nobody can get out I mean, it's like, this was insanity and I just sort of looked at him and I would have these fights with him and he didn't like the fact that there was nothing he can bargain with me on you know, I didn't, I didn't do any of the stuff that he wanted, he couldn't do it with drink he couldn't do it with, with any drugs. He couldn't do it. Any, and I'm just sort of sitting there looking at him going, you got to be kidding me, right? I mean, he gave me dirty looks. I mean, at one point I wanted to, to go, uh, he wanted, he wanted to take John in his car. And I said, I'm going with you. He goes, no, you're not. He actually had his bodyguard lift me up physically <gasps> and remove me. And he's thinking, so, who's this kid? I am Phil Spector. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and how and do you work you with crazy? I believe me, I I had to navigate all this and I had to do everything at the spur of the moment. I had to think about everything and say, okay, what am I gonna do next? And you know, John being with all the rest of the friends and they were all drunk, you know, whatever was going on with Phil, he knew what he wanted to do. You know, he had his bodyguard. He had his bodyguard do all the, the work, you know, the dirty work and get everybody else to do things. I mean, I'm sitting there going, no, I'm fighting him the whole time. So I was the, what do you call it? I'm the person that they had to, you know, just grab and, and, and take away. Because right. I'm the one standing in there going, oh, no, 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 you're not going to do this. You know? At so. this point, are you thinking to yourself, is this worth it? Oh, there are many times I thought that. I said. Really. But then I also went into that mode of I worked with them and I protected them, you know, so you, sure. you get into that mode. I said, I can't let this happen. You know, he's famous. Nobody knows me. I can just do whatever I can to to make it work. Um, and that was it. And, you know, they didn't think that I would be that strong about you're not going to take him and do whatever you want. I really I, I fought my way through on this. But, and you've said time and time again, that's an aspect of you that John loved. I mean, John loved strong women. Yeah. You and know? it was, I mean, I think he didn't realize how strong and, 
and how physically uh, I was not going to let certain things happen. You know, and I would argue because I was the youngest one in this group, you know, right. at 22, 23 and sober and sober. Hey, guys, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. We'll be right back. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report. And you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. All right, let's get back to the interview. So around this point, so you mentioned the Troubadour incident, that's around March. And then I think shortly thereafter, you all move into a house together yes. on PCH in Santa Monica. Right. I mean, you, John, Harry Nielsen, Ringo, Keith Moon. I mean, right. that's the who's who of just crazy behavior at the time. Klaus, and Klaus Warman and, um, 
and Hillary, who was who was the business partner, business manager to Ringo, and we're all there. And I'm managing. I'm managing the house. Of course you are. Of course I am. Right. I, of course I am. And um, and of course this was the house that Peter Lawford, um, you know, Peter Lawford owned at one time, where the Kennedys used to come by. And there was a party, and I ran into Peter, and I said to him. You know, we're all just, you know, rented this house because it was because John's idea was if we all got there at the same time to John took um, recording into his studio very seriously. You know, Mm -hmm. he didn't he didn't like to waste time. Um, Unlike a Phil Spector session, John, when you work his session, if John was in charge, he doesn't mind you doing it after, but not before. He was very serious about working. And then you could do whatever you want after. Um, and so I remember, so John said, let's all be in the same house that so we can all go to the studio together. Right. Um, and so that house got rented. And when we knew the history to it, Kennedy's, Marilyn, this whole thing, it intrigued the boys even more, you know. Oh, sure. and, um, and I remember saying to, to Peter Lawford, of all people, Peter Lawford, you know, his brother-in-law, you know, the Kennedys. Um, and I said, oh, Peter, we're, we just rented a house. And he said, really? I said, yeah, for doing this album. And it's on the PCH. And he looked at me. He knew what I meant. And he went, he just sat back and he goes, some good times, some really good times. You can't get, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, that's, you know, that's, what do you, what do you do there? You know, you just say, guess what? This is where, and he looked at me, just went, he had a cigarette in his hand. He goes, some good times. Oh, all the stuff that was going through his head at that moment. (laughs) Get into, you know, and the house is built by Louis B. Mayer as well. So if anybody's in Hollywood, they understand these are, you know, icons of the Hollywood, you know, world you know the all these people so that was his original house apparently he built that oh my gosh just just decades and decades of history yeah i don't even know if it's still there is it still there i think it is oh my gosh oh if those walls could talk incredible oh i know if those walls can talk never mind my session i mean just going back Now you were there. What a few months? No, it's uh, about a month. A little, oh, little okay. maybe, okay. maybe a little over a month because we didn't need that much time. We were doing that, but what was happening was that we couldn't control Harry, mm-hmm. and and John said to him, "Listen, to get you healthy, John said, go and go get your go get acupuncture, you know, for your voice for the whole thing." So Harry would do that, but at night. He would go off and undo everything that went on in the daytime. I was always surprised that he made it to these to the sessions for the acupuncture. But when he went, and, and of course, he didn't tell us that he had wound his throat. He uh, hemorrhaged. And John said, that's it. Can't do this. Can't do the vocals here. Can't. He had too many um, distractions. Yeah. So John looked at me. He said, I'm taking him back. And so I stayed. And um, I stayed behind for a, a week or two, and I 
manage the house trying to take it down. There were still people living there. It was still uh, Mooney was there. Ringo was there. You know, so I'm just managing the house. And uh, and every night he'd be calling. And then one day he just said, when I come back now. So then I just sort of left. And I think it was a week late. It was just shy of a week when before it was all shut down. Oh, man. So he took him back to New York. Yeah. He went right. back to New York to finish the vocals. And then there was, you know, there was a better control in New York. You know, it, it wasn't like in L.A. you go, where did he go? I mean, he <laughs> did that, too. He knew his way around there, too. But there was a more of a, a, a control factor where he wouldn't wander off and, and you didn't know where they were. You know, you right. knew John had a better control of his of the studio and, and how, how it was going to be. Mm-hmm. You know. And in that time, that month that you were there, I mean, I'm sure, yeah, it was quite unpredictable, but you have... About a month and a half, yeah. Your time with Paul and Linda, when they came to visit. They came on the very first night of the recording session. I was just really in shock at the fact that they were in town. We didn't know anything. That was... uh, And then they came over to the house the next day. And I think this is where... You know, I talk about it in the film, so I don't want to go too much in. Yeah, don't go too, don't go too in depth. But I know that that house had a lot of stories, and that that part of the documentary is so interesting to me. And you know, then John Lennon does say at, at one point, you know, I was done. Just no more of this. No more of this debauchery and these shenanigans, and you know, this this lifestyle that everybody's living. Um, and maybe that's the point when he took Harry back to New York City. Yeah, he had enough. And, you yeah. know, and he saw the, the, the things that I went through, you know, trying to keep everybody straight. You know, it was it was one of those moments. And not only that, you know, immigrations were, you know, the court things were also happening. He said he didn't he didn't like being in the papers every day because it was about him when it was really everybody else. You know, he he would get the press, the worst press on that. Sure. And as you went back to New York, what were your thoughts? Because I'm sure Yoko's continuing to check in. Yes. Yes. And now you're going back to New York City. She's there. Are you thinking to yourself, okay, we've established a relationship here. This has wings. Or were you a little nervous about being in close proximity to Yoko again? No. You know what? People don't realize. We actually saw her in in February. We were in New York. Oh. We had come back to New York for, for a month. And uh, it was at that time, she had also asked for a divorce. And John said, yes. So it is not. So people think that this is out of the blue. This is not out of the blue. But what we didn't have was we stayed in my little apartment. And then we finally said, it's time to get a place of our own. Just where, you know, where. It's ours, and we got in on the east side, and uh, it was it was nice because it was a small apartment, you know, compared to the Dakota that had like eleven rooms. This only was really a one bedroom with a little balcony, and we faced we faced the East River, and John loved it because it reminded him of Liverpool, you know, where you could see the the Mersey go by. And he loved it. And we kept, since it was a small one bedroom, I would say no larger than 
800 to 900 square feet. You know, that's how small the apartment was. We took the, um, the, the bedroom, which John said, God, this is small. Um, and we, and we left it for Julian. So we put that aside. We had the couch and that turns into a bed and, you know, and that, and we made our, uh, living room, the bedroom and the, the, the living room, bedroom, everything all at one, you know, and, and we'd used a balcony and we had, in the summertime it was great. He would sit out there and uh, and just and just watch the ships go by and everything else. He enjoyed that. Uh, I remember you saying at some point or reading that, you know, this was a real special time for John because he was doing things in the city just as a normal civilian, <laughs> you know, that he'd never done before. You were talking about him riding a bus. You were talking about you being sick one day and him going to the store. I know I wasn't feeling well. And he goes, are you okay? He got really worried. And this is at my apartment, my little apartment. And he goes, I said, I just don't feel well. And I had nothing in the fridge, you know, cause we had just come back and we had nothing. And he goes, I'll go to the store. I said, and I was going, you don't know how to go to the store. He goes, I'll manage. You know, we forget that he hadn't done a, everybody did it for him. Right. So I said, let me, are you sure? So I said, um, it's up the block. And I directed him and he actually went there. And of course I needed some Coca-Cola because you know, when you don't feel well, you want like a ginger ale or Coca-Cola and I wanted right. that. And then he just got some snacks and that's what it was. We had a good time with that. So he had never done that before. And so it was nice to know he was going to do that for me. And how long were you in that little apartment together that you shared? Let's see. We were there maybe I would say less than a month because people started, you know, come out and there was a guy across the street sitting on a stoop and he goes, Hey, John. And he waved and he goes, Hey, and he looked at me. He goes, time to leave. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Trying to put down roots and, and create some normalcy. It, it seemed near impossible. Right. And at that time, too, you know, the, the dissolution of the Beatles was being finalized. Right. That was in the that was now there's the myth, you know, that he went back after the Elton John concert, which was in November. And the, that is a myth because after the, the concert, uh, Julian had come in. We went to see, the, you know, we went to see George. George Harrison had come in for his his, um, you know, his tour. And then we went down to Florida. We took Julian down to to uh, Disney World. You know, this is a kid that we finally took him to Disneyland early on, you know, for the Christmas before. Now we're doing Christmas in Disney World. And what was um, what was John's headspace when he signed that document? Finally, he was the last Beatle to sign. Yes. Um, huh. Do you remember? You know, I just remember he goes. Besides saying, you know, be my Linda to be able to take the picture, you know, because we were all supposed to be, it would have been all, it would have been Paul, George, Ringo had already signed it. It would have been the three Beatles in the room. Uh, it was like, this is it, you know? And then, of course, after he signed it, he, you know, a couple of weeks later, he's going, you know, what do you think? Should I, should I write with Paul again? Because Paul was always visiting us in New York. Mm. And I just remember going, yeah, why not? Now you're free. You can do whatever you want. 
want. What a feeling. Yeah. I mean, it was an end of an era, not just the end of a band. No, they were, it's, I try to explain to people, I said, the Beatles were not just a band. They really changed the generation uh, of the baby boomers. You know, they changed that generation because what they ate, what, how they spoke, you know, to people, uh, their head thinking, uh, their dress, everything, every, every little thing about them. We, yeah. we, we changed our hairstyle for them. Uh, we wanted to look like the, the girlfriends, the wives, uh, the clothing. They brought in all the different music. You know, they made us rethink about how, you know, the songs. And, you know, it was great because John and I used to talk about that a lot. We we talk about the different songs. And he was surprised that I had, had known as much as I had, you know, because he would say, how do you, you know, we're 10 years apart. And he would say, how come you know so much? And I said, besides me liking music, um, that might be. But I said, I get it firsthand. You got it secondhand. So I had an advantage. And he goes, ah, okay. He accepted that. But we had we had the same taste. And there was a few that I didn't understand. And, you know, but he, uh, we had the same taste in music. Which was incredibly important. Absolutely. Yeah. I know all the boys, you know, saw the Beatles as such a confining entity, you know, um, and to put pen to paper and be free of it. There had to have been a moment where they said, well, what, what did I just do? What did I just do? Because we had had Paul and because he had just seen George and Ringo, he was he didn't have that angst that he had had of, of recent years. Interesting. And um, my house, our household was different. You know, you're, when you're, whatever the relationship he had with Cynthia was different from the one he had with Yoko to different to the one, you know, in our place. And in our place, I had an open door policy. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the first visitors at our apartment was Paul and Linda. And I didn't even know how they found us. We didn't <laughs> tell anybody where we lived. You have an amazing picture, I mean, of them at the bottom of the stairs. I love it. Yeah, it was like, you know, you, we buzzed them in. And next thing you know, as they're coming through the door, the photo gets taken. They had no idea. So it's all it's all that. that you're faced with a staircase. Um, we, it was like we lived in the attic. That was the whole thing. And it was, it was fun. So people would come over. Jagger was a, 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 a constant visitor over at our house uh they would just we sit around we order pizza we order chinese food um everybody just 
and I'll never forget, you know, when when Paul spilled red wine on the rug. Uh, sort of a, you know, off-white rug yet, you know. Um, the rug came from England. It came from, uh, you know, where John would, you know, the room that John in the Imagine uh, video, yeah. he said, take, uh, we need a rug here. He, he called up, he said, get the rug out of the house. I want it. And that got shipped over. Yeah. How, how did your family feel about all this as it was happening? I don't think my father, as as you know, uh, he couldn't understand it, and he didn't he didn't he didn't really want to know. My mm-hmm. mother was more concerned about me. Um, she just wanted me to be happy. That's what it was. My mother was a more forgiving, more understanding. Um, I would say, "Mom, can you help out?" I said, "We're hungry." You know, when we were at my little apartment, she would leave the food for us and, you know, things like that. So, oh. and she, you know, years later, I, I remember John saying, you know, I wish I had met your mother in person. So it was, it was nice to know that he thought about that. Yeah, definitely. Now, Yoko approaching you and essentially saying, this irked me. <laughs> put it nicely okay um, that she was ready to take john back right essentially as if this was all you know her timing her decision and that he'd be this willing party and it wasn't that because when he said that to me, when she said that to me it was it was uh a, a few months earlier and it didn't happen overnight as the snap of the finger it didn't work that way uh but you know, that's just the myth. And we know how myths can turn into truths, which it was not, you know. So I just want you to know it was, um, it took a lot of work somewhere along the line to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, uh, you know, everybody who would see the film, they will understand what went on after that. Sure. Yeah, no, no, we'll we'll pause it there. We won't get into any yeah. more about the ending. Um, but did you keep in touch with, you know, any of the Beatles along the way? I know that you made friends with Bowie, um, you know, because he and well, John. Who would, you know, I mean, the best part about that is when I tell the story that uh, John and I, including Elton, we meet we meet this woman and it's Elizabeth Taylor. All right. Grand um, Elizabeth Taylor. Institution. Yep. Yes. And I was like so mesmerized by her, you know, because I looked at her eyes. She had violet. I think it was like the color of my hair. You know, she had gorgeous. It was just gorgeous. And she wore the jewelry that you're, you've seen in photos. She had the, the diamonds and the sapphire, you know, the emeralds and the emeralds and diamonds. I was like, oh, my God. And then all of a sudden I see this guy walking down the hall. We were at a party and I remember seeing, seeing him walking and I, I just sort of put my head down and I, I tapped John and I said, he goes, what? I said, the guy walking towards us, the thin guy is David Bowie. And he goes, ah, okay. You know, so I used to do that. I used to start telling him who was around us just so he didn't get caught. You know, like you don't recognize me, you know, that type of thing. And I mean, that happened a few times. And believe me, the reaction from other people were like, oh, he knows who I am. 
Um, you know, it's, it was really good. It couldn't, you know, it, seeing him, and you know, and uh, and Elizabeth goes, oh, do you know David? <laughs> and we said, uh, no. And he goes, David, this is John and May and Elton. You know, so it was one of those. And then, uh, and then they they said, "Oh, she turned to us." She said, "Excuse me," because he wanted he was leaving, and got up and said, "Yes, yeah, sure, we're we're over here. Go go do what you have to do." You know, and we were like, "Oh, wow," you know. Wow. Yes, yeah, so we were introduced to him by Elizabeth Taylor. Uh, <laughs> who better? <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, really. Who would have thought, right? I know I've gotten all these, these are things that's happened over, over time. And, you know, I, I look back and I'm going, oh my goodness, I can't believe all this had, had happened to me. And it's amazing. Um, I'm, I'm honored, you know, and I'm, I'm thankful in my life. I've, I've, and I'm still friends with a lot of people, which goes back to your uh, question there. Uh, I hadn't seen Paul. He was the last one. And he, I saw uh, at the Barclays Center back about maybe six years ago when I went to the show. And Ringo I hadn't seen in a while. Oh, I, I think I saw him briefly in London. I ran into him and, you know, we were all at the same concert uh, for Jerry Lee Lewis. And, um, you know, it was a brief hello and that was that. And then, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's it's just a, a crazy time, you know. It's who you see. I don't. I I'm still in touch with some of the um, girlfriends. Um, in fact, I'll see Chris O'Dell. Mm. You know, and you know, she's one of my she's one of my close friends, and I'll see her soon. Um, and then you know, it's it, it's nice to know. It's funny because people would say, "Oh, I'm looking for so and so," and they'll say, oh, "Talk to May. She's in touch with a lot of these people." That's great that you're the go-to. Well, the last thing I wanted to ask you is: this documentary has come together, you know, and it's been some time since you did those books. Um, emotionally, where did it put you in in going back and reliving it all and telling the complete story in this way? I think. Um, it really did. It made uh, a fulfillment in my, you know, in my soul, right. you know, because it books are fine, but it. I mean, I now see people who are who now who have it's it's that time period. You know, it's fifty years. So many things have come out. Yeah. Um, some people say it's about time. I mean, I've never had so many so much support from so many people who said we've been wanting something like this to come out, and especially. On film, you know, because watching it is different from reading. A lot of people don't want to read. They, although they do, but they don't get it. They're not understanding. So I think for them, it's it's really watching it in, in action. And I'm, you know, I'm happy that the three producer, their co-producer and directors, which is Eve Branstein, Richard Kaufman, and Stuart Samuels, they each brought something to the table, and they all honored what my my wishes were i did not micromanage them they knew that they had my life rights they could have they can shape the story now obviously if it wasn't something that i didn't like you know i could override but i didn't want to be the one to say oh 
Um, I don't like the way I'm dressed for that. I don't like the way I look, you know, because that happened sure. a lot of times with a lot of people. And you, you know, you go, I don't like that. And nowadays it's so disposable when you take a photo. I don't like that. I delete it, please. You know? Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, they, they really stayed true to, you know, the storyline, the understanding where I was coming from. And that was important to me. And I thought they did a fabulous job. Uh, and, and from, you know, how they put it all together, it was, it was tough. This project started back in, you know, we, we um, started this six years ago, five, six years ago. Wow. This is not something that happened like a year ago. This happened, you know, we started as we talked about it five, six years ago. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's a beautiful film and it's amazing tribute to, you know, your time with John. And it's, it's nice to see him that way. There's a different aspect to him. You can read every book that's out there on the Beatles, right? Actually, you probably couldn't. There's too many of them uh, you know, uh. attempting to, you know, describe the boys and um, depict them however they wish to depict them. But this was a really great look at John just in a totally different way. I know the people, are, people in, in, um, in Australia, they've written uh, uh, England, especially England, um, all of them, the UK, you know, Ireland. They'll get a chance in June. They're coming out in June, where the rest, the United States, in those selected theaters, it's going to be, you know, there's some some place uh, in the 50 states, each place in 50 states, there will be a theater for them. I don't know how close. I mean, in New York City, we get we have two two places. Uh, but at the Angelica Theater in New York City, where I'm, you know, where I live, um, this, they're, they're going to hold it for a week for us. Oh, wow. So the more people want, and if they, you know, the more it's going to keep coming back, you know, for people to see. But for the event, it's on the 13th. And that's what, and for people in Florida, I didn't realize it was in um, the Fort Lauderdale uh, Film Festival. So they're doing three days of it there, too. Oh, amazing. Yeah. I had no idea. And the three films that are going to be there, you know, one was the Carol King movie that yep. just came out and the blood, sweat and tears. And it's funny because I saw the Carol King um, and I saw, you know, Lou Adler, who I, who I love and adore. And um, I just recently saw him and it was his house that we stayed at. And uh, it, it, you know, I wish him all the best. I that was a Carol bit of a trip. King. I'm sure. Yeah. Isn't that funny? It was, it was memory lane for me to go down and see him. You know, you're both got these films and you're like, wait a second. Hey, you were part of my story. Well, but here's the other one, the blood, sweat and tears. You have Al Cooper and he was part of one of the jams that we had also back in, you know, in LA. I mean, what an incestuous circle. You're not kidding, but it was a fun circle that, it was all this musical talent, which I love the music so much. And I, I love, you know, I get a chance to be with, with these people and watch the creativity just flowing out of everywhere, you know? And it was like, oh, my God, they were amazing. It was amazing. I'm very lucky for that. So, you know, you know where to find me. <laughs> I do. I do. And if I don't know if you're out in L.A. Oh, yeah, because I'm, I'm coming out to L.A. for the 13th to view it with everybody else. Oh, wonderful. Where, where yeah. are you at the Grove or at the Grove? I'll the be Grove. there starting. I'll be out there for a couple of days. I'll be out there from the 10th on from the. Yeah. Cause on um, the 8th and the 9th, 
I'm in New York doing my photo exhibition at the city winery. And then, and then I'm leaving on the, the 14th. I am going to uh, take the red eye into Philly to go to the city winery and do my photo exhibition there. So we're going to travel around the country. Uh, we're, we're booking, yeah, we're booking uh, all the, my partner, this guy, Scott Siegelbaum, and he's going to book all these different places for us to, uh, to take my, the photos. Wow. Yeah. May, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time. I, I really had a blast. <laughs> You're welcome. And I hope I see you soon again. You will. You will. Good luck with everything until then. All right, a big thank you to May Pang for stopping by. I thought I knew her story until I watched the documentary, so this should be eye-opening for a lot of people. Now, guys, links to where you can buy tickets to the documentary, uh, as well as info on her upcoming photography exhibits, her website, all of it can be found in the show notes, so be sure to check those out. Now, I've said it many times before, but it's worth repeating. Please take a moment to rate, follow, and or subscribe to My Rock Moment, depending on where you listen. I will be eternally grateful for the support. All right. Thanks, guys, and I'll see you at the next one. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.